Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. Here at No Limits, we are on a mission to make a difference in the lives of others. We want to help people know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. It's a journey, and we're all walking it together. So wherever you're listening from, we pray that you are encouraged and empowered by this week's message. Well, welcome to No Limits Church. So glad you're with us today. Today we're uh, continuing a series uh, we're just calling it Summer at No Limits, and what's happening is you get to hear from eight different speakers, and so, so let's see, you've already heard from six of them, I think, or five, maybe? One that's coming up today I'm pretty excited about, but for those of you who don't, who know, who, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Cade, I'm the lead pastor here at No Limits alongside my wife, Beth, who's up here on the front row, and here at No Limits, we're on a mission of uh, leading people to their purpose in Jesus. We want to help people know God, we want to help people find freedom and we want to help people discover their purpose. In other words, we want to help you live the life that God planned for you way before you were even born. He had a plan for you before you were born. Speaking of things being born, Beth and I, you may have seen this on Facebook, but we're expecting our fourth kiddo now. <laughs> Woo-hoo! Coming in January. Four kids in five years. I was kind of hoping we could say four kids in four years, but we didn't make that. Apparently, God didn't think we could handle that, so he gave us a little break for this one. <laughs> See some wide eyes out there. Wow. People have been asking us if we're taking on the sole responsibility of repopulating the earth. I guess so. I always tell Beth, and this is kind of funny, this is not theological by any means, but the word says be fruitful and multiply. We've finally multiplied. Two times two is four, so we've been obedient. This is our obedience child. (laughs) Well, the goal we're reaching for here at No Limits is found in Ephesians 3.20, and it says, all glory to God, because he's able through his power working in us to accomplish infinitely more than we could ask or think. Good thing it's not our power working through us, but his power working through us. So that's what we're after here at No Limits. That's why we're called No Limits Church. So go ahead and look at your neighbor and say, it's time to take the limits off. In case you forgot since last Sunday, right? I just take those limits off. All right, well, I'm not the one delivering the message today. It's actually Mr. Mason Chatneau over here. He's one of our dream teamers here at No Limits. He serves in many different areas, including the tech team and the hospitality team. Let me tell you guys about this guy. You ask him to do anything, and he just says, yes, sir, and he goes out and he does it like with excellence every single time. Seriously, man, you got, it's awesome. You got some amazing character. He's also a Rhema graduate, so I know he's got a good word for us today. So go ahead and come on up here, Mason. I'm going to pray over the message. Well, Lord, we thank you for Mason. We thank you for the word that you put in his heart today. We ask that you fill him with boldness right now in Jesus' name and remove all the nerves. And we just thank you for the message that's about to come forth in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Wow, is that what I sound like? I'm sorry. (laughs) All right. Before I start this message, I would like us to pray. This prayer is found in Ephesians 1 and starts in verse 17, for those who want to look it up later. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance to his holy people, and his his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority power, and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. 
And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I feel it's important to start with this prayer because we all can stand to get a little closer to God. And this is a wonderful way for us to open that door to our own hearts, to be refreshed on things we've already seen a thousand times or perhaps learn something new. As Kate said, and for those of you who don't know me personally, my name is Mason Chatnuff. <laughs> it's okay, everyone mispronounces it. Everyone does. My dad tells me I mispronounce it sometimes, so <laughs> you're not alone. All right, I was born in Tulsa, and I've lived in Owasso for as long as I can remember. I was baptized in a Presbyterian church in the summer of 2008 up in New Mexico. I came to this church in about 2010, 2011 maybe. Uh, back when it was still called Abiding Word Fellowship, a long time ago. I graduated from Wasso High School, class of 2017, and Rhema Bible Training College, uh, class of 2019. Uh, my favorite pasta dish is fettuccine alfredo. My favorite pizza topping is Italian sausage. My jokes should be made of paper with how terrible they are. <laughs> and I love video games. Now, I'm not what people nowadays refer to as a professional gamer, and I don't intend to be, so. <laughs> All right. But they are definitely my favorite form of entertainment as it stands. Video games come in all sorts and can be categorized a hundred plus different ways. Some are good, some are bad. <laughs> some allow you to build massive structures in minutes. Others uh, design and create houses, even creatures. Fly planes, airships, drive boats, trucks, trains, tanks. Some of us would really love to drive one of those, right? <laughs> yeah. Where was I? <laughs> uh, some are action-packed arenas where you fight courageously through hordes of enemies bent on your destruction. Some are cooperative games where survival and victory depends on the unity of your squad and the skills that we provide. And others still bring you and your friends in head-to-head -head battles of brawn and wit. The list goes on and on, and I could talk about them all day if you let me. I don't think Cade will, though. <laughs> uh, they all have their own flair and their own style. People are that way, too. We have different styles and strategies, things that we excel at, and others we uh, don't, to say the least. Some of us couldn't be more different from each other, and other of us couldn't possibly be more like. You've got hundreds of personality tests that categorize us and organize us into nice little sections. Uh, we have skills as craftsmen, laborers, caretakers, all working our way through life, just trying to get by. There are a number of things you can accomplish in video games that are otherwise highly unlikely or just downright impossible. And in the event that something doesn't turn out quite how you expected, uh, and it results in you losing, a number of games today use a system of checkpoints that you can reload to so you get another chance to try it again in another way. Hopefully, with a better result. And otherwise, no real consequences besides wasted time. As far as the game is concerned, you never did anything past that checkpoint. And to those of you saying, I didn't come to your church to hear about your stupid games. What's this got to do with anything? Which is Bible student going to preach some Bible? Don't worry, my tirade's going to be relevant in a bit. Uh, but for now, you're right. 
Let's get into the word some. And by some, I mean a lot. All right, we're going to start by reading Matthew chapter 6. For those who would like context, this is the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon that he preached to the Jewish people in Galilee. It begins in chapter 5, and it continues all the way to verse 7. Be glad I'm not reading the whole thing, because that would take way too long. All right. So starting with verse 1, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hands know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to the others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more, much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. 
Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And I guess some of you are now thinking, go back to your tirade, that's too much Bible at once. And to that I say, there is no such thing. (laughs) You need this just as much as I do. There's a lot of good in this particular chapter. And as it should be, seeing as these are the words of Jesus. The first section is a great for a do good from your own heart, not for attention message. The Lord's Prayer is in there, and you can do a message on that alone. And I bet you know somebody who could use verse 25 onward. Maybe it's you? I don't know. (laughs) But that's really not what I want to highlight right now. What I want to highlight is verses 14 and 15. For if you give other people when they sin against you, or or, as it says in the King James, (laughs) or or not, (laughs) well, you're reading it behind me, so I'll just read this one. For if you give other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That first part's great. Everybody loves that part. Nobody likes to hear that second part. I don't either, because it kind of prods me when I slip up. But it does show you pretty clearly that being in unforgiveness is a very dangerous place to be. Luke chapter 6, verse 37, also tells us to forgive others in the same way that this does. It says, in my version, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. I've heard it said that being in unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. If you think about people who can't or even won't forgive, you may see what that means. They become hateful, spiteful, bitter. Everything you say to them that isn't exactly what they want to hear is just more fuel for their angry fire. Now, when we are saved on that day, we are forgiven of all of our sin. Our old spirit is put to death, recreated, and we are born again into the family of God. Isaiah 43.25 says, in my version, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. He was speaking to Israel at the time, but that applies to us as well, as believers. When you are saved and your sins forgiven, they're completely forgotten. Your slate is wiped clean, and you are given a clear conscience. You've quit the old game, and you've started a new one. Your game has been saved, and you've reached the first checkpoint. (laughs) God's not going to bring up what you've done once uh, once it's confessed, because, like he said, he forgot it. So you don't have to worry about that. Why am I going to harp on this? Because like I said at the beginning, we could all use some refreshment on known subjects every once in a while. A tree without water and sunlight is going to die if left left alone long enough. 
no matter how deep its roots are. So it's a good idea to at least talk about forgiveness once or twice. Shed some light on it. Water it in God's word. Forgiveness is a very important topic in the Bible. It's kind of this whole central point of why Jesus came. Lines like the ones that we saw are all throughout it. God is our prime example, and as such, he showed us how to forgive. He didn't just tell us. Both in action and in those he's... Uh, oh, sorry. Both in action to those he saved and in word. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The Lord forgave us when we became born again and then commanded us to do the same. More than once, actually. Colossians 3.13 tells us to do as well, saying, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Looking at it, it kind of seems like it's a loop. God forgives us so we can and must forgive so that he can forgive us if we screw up again. And it just kind of goes around a big old circle. You probably all know what I'm saying. I feel most of you have heard this all before. I saw a YouTube video a few weeks back about a man who made a bike with a wheel that turned the wrong way. As in, you turn the handlebars to the left, and the wheel on the bike would turn to the right. Pretty backwards. He traveled around to various places, and he would talk about the bike. After doing so, he'd ask volunteers to come up and try and ride the bike across the stage for a monetary reward. I forget about how much. I think 20 bucks, 100 bucks. I forget. Okay. Many people came up to try. Not one of them succeeded. Not one. Every single one of them knew that when the handlebars went left, the wheel went right. He'd spent the whole time before that explaining it. And they know and understand how a normal bike works. And some of them have probably put a number of miles on a few bikes. But in practice, they couldn't do anything. At the end of the video, he said something that stuck with me. There is a difference between knowing and understanding. It stuck with me because as a student at Ramah, I'd learned a lot about the Bible. But I have recently discovered that even though I've been taught many things, I actually understand very little in practice. I know about God's love, and I understand it to a degree but I don't understand it all. As Cade says in the Ephesians prayer that he reads at the end of every day, we probably won't understand it to its fullest degree, but we can understand it better. I know I don't understand it all. I know that my dad loves me, and I understand what it's like to be a son receiving love from his father, but I don't understand the love of a father to a son or daughter. Not in the way that my dad does, or Cade, or any of the other parents in this room. I have been told that being a parent is a whole new level of love. Because of that, my dad understands more than I do how much God the Father loves him. Because he understands how much he himself loves me, my sister. I know about feeling, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and I understand it because I've been through it. I've been filled with the evidence of speaking in tongues, and I also know that both Jesus and Peter 
walked in the, on water in the middle of a raging storm. I'm sorry to say I don't quite understand that. I know it was by faith, but I don't quite understand that level, that degree of faith required to do that. Not like they do. I admire people who have that level of understanding on any subject. So I'm going to ask you a question, and I just want you to ask yourself this anytime you think on a subject in the Word. Any subject. You know it. But do you know it within? Do you truly understand? Let's get back to the subject of forgiveness now before I give you all any more reasons to practice what I'm preaching. You know who understood what forgiveness really meant? Simon Peter. He had first-hand experience on what forgiveness really meant. Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 and 35. Whenever that comes up, I'll read it. Okay, in my version it reads... Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, this very night, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing too. Pretty bold, right? This was the night that Jesus was going to be crucified for those who need context. And those of you who've read this know exactly where this is going. Verse 69, same night, same chapter. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus the Galilean, but he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know this man. He swore. (laughs) A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk, it gives it away. Then he began to curse and swear, even worse, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words which Jesus has said, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So he lied and denied, even knowing Jesus at all. Those of us who've been saved know and understand that the only way into heaven is through accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior. But Peter just did the opposite to try and save his skin. Matthew saw it, as we saw. In John 18, it tells the story from John's perspective, so we know he sees it. And yet, even with that, God forgave him. Why? Because he came back. In the book of John, chapter 21, we see where he did. Verse 1, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I am going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. 
He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, he never refers to himself as John in this chapter, in this book at all. <laughs> he said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they had landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with a fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because John asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter went on in the book of Acts to speak boldly for Christ in the temple of God and in the face of the religious leaders of that day before, before and after being beaten and imprisoned, and also on more than one occasion, even to the end of his life when he was crucified upside down in Rome. God saves us, and he sees our progress as we grow and change into what he has designed us to be. And when we come before him and willingly confess our sins, he will erase it from our conscience and his memory. Jesus forgave Peter even though he lied and denied. He used him for miracles and also used him to open up the door for the Gentiles, us, non-Jews, to come into the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul also knows what forgiveness means. When he was still called Saul, he killed Christians and held the coats of the men who killed the very first martyr. Before God got to him, he was not somebody you would have expected to be preaching Jesus' name. And yet he wrote a third of the New Testament where he said more than once his conscience was clear, and he is the subject of roughly the last half of the book of Acts. Some Christians today never would have listened to Paul the murderer or Peter the liar, but God has forgiven them, and we should forgive those around us too, no matter how hateful, spiteful, backstabbing, terrible they are. Show them God. Bring them to him. Let them see what good is 
so they can finally realize how evil they've been. It's not easy. I would be lying to you if I was saying it was. For some of us, it's going to be even harder. When it's personal or involves someone we know, it can feel impossible. But we must forgive. In fact, the goal is to try and go beyond just forgiving. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 21 and 22. In my version, it reads, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. That right there is the worst thing you can do to someone. Treat them right when they treat you wrong and they know it. That shame is awful, terrible. Some of you can attest personally to how bad that shame is. As an example of this principle, in the food service industry, we are taught to, uh, sorry, we are taught that the best way to deal with someone who is, let's say, less than polite is to kill them with kindness. That is, treat them right in spite of their demeanor in order to de-escalate the situation and prevent a ruckus. I like that word. It's a fun word. I don't get to use it enough. I saw a story the other day of a server who was working in a sit-down restaurant. A good-sized family had come in while they were busy. The server had told them that the next tables would be available within 30 to 45 minutes and had them wait, as per usual with these types of restaurants, when you come in at the hours they did. About 35 minutes had passed when a couple of tables that could be pushed together opened up. They hadn't been cleaned yet, but they were about to be. And at about that time, a lady from that aforementioned family came to the server and said something along the lines of, you told me a table would be available in 30 minutes, and we've been outside, uh, sitting outside for 10 minutes more than that, which still would have put them at 40 minutes, and that's well within the time frame that they had been given. The server checked and made sure and informed the lady, we have, you, uh, we have here, we just need... I messed up my notes. <laughs> Let me try and uh, get this out real fast. <laughs> yeah, we have here that we said to you it'd be, the wait would be 30 to 45 minutes, and a couple of tables we can push together for you just opened up. She responded, you didn't say that. You said just 30 minutes, and I want to know what you're going to do for me. <laughs> At this point, the server was beginning to get a little angry. But they had remembered being taught, kill them with kindness, by his favorite co-worker. So they kept their cool, and then they said to the lady, I am so sorry, we must have made a mistake, I apologize. Just let us clean these tables, and we'll get you some appetizers on us. We'll also make sure that our best waitress is serving you today. According to the server, uh, the family was seated in the area where that particular uh, waitress was going to be anyway, but he just wanted to throw that in there for good measure. So, they go to the server who's going to be waiting on them, and they tell her the situation. Free appetizers, rude lady, kill them with kindness, the worst. Once the family is all seated and situated, the worker goes by the table and specifically stops by the rude lady and asks how everybody at the table is doing today. Gets the family the free appetizers that they had been promised, and everyone is making sure that that family is well taken care of. And by the end of the meal, the whole family had a blast except for that rude lady. (laughs) 
to keep it the rest of the story short, she hadn't touched the appetizer at the her end of the table. She didn't eat anything. She just sat there in shame as her and her family were treated with wonderful service. And as far as I'm aware, that scenario is just what it's like without God. Bring him into the mix. You could go from ruining the day of some rude old lady to changing somebody's life for eternity. To bring it back around to the beginning, we can look at our relationship with God like a game. It is not a game, just like one. A checkpoint is made right before we decide to do something stupid or contrary to the word of God. And when we ask for his forgiveness, he restores us to that last checkpoint. He restores our relationship with him just as it was before. A father and his child. Sometimes we need a little reminder. So let's all close our eyes and just take a moment to bring ourselves into the throne room of the Lord. Let's let him clean us up from our mistakes and reload that last checkpoint. If you're sitting here watching, listening, and you realize that you are holding on to something that you really shouldn't be, some past hurt, big or small, just take it to the Lord. He has forgiven you of all your mistakes, and he's forgotten that you even made them. And just as he has done, he asks us to do. And if you're here and you realize that you haven't actually made a relationship with the Lord, then I invite you to say this confession with us. I pray that you not only know what you say, but you understand it and you mean it. Repeat after me, please. Jesus, I messed up. I am done wasting my time for nothing. I ask that you forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And as you do, please help me to forgive those around me as you have forgiven me. Please make me into someone better. I accept you as the Lord and Savior, Jesus. Now, if you said that for the first time or finally understand what that means, then I just want to say to you, welcome to the family. Your life has just begun. Good word, man. Wasn't that good? That's so good. You know, I think he could just record the Bible and I'd sit there and listen to it, those long passages. That's awesome. Something that came to me when I was listening is something really practical, way that we can apply his message is all those people that we're mad at for how they're treating our country right now, or maybe the president that you're mad at, or maybe someone else in Congress or the Senate that you're mad at, why don't you just go ahead and forgive them? Because walking around in unforgiveness is not going to change the situation. It's not going to help anybody. Amen? Super practical. Amen. Well, you know, yesterday was Independence Day. 
don't know about you, but I love America. I'm so grateful to live here. God bless America. Y'all didn't even sing anything like that this morning. <laughs> you want to come up and sing it, Beth? No. Seriously, y'all, though, don't, don't let what's going on in our country discourage you from loving your country. We got to love it because the word actually says that God wants the nations, which means that God cares about the nation of America. People are like, God doesn't care about the nation. He just cares about us as individuals. No, he cares about the nation. The nations are his inheritance, the inheritance of Jesus. So we need to stand up for our nation because I believe he's called our nation to be a blessing to the world. And if we're over here in shambles, we can't bless the world. So that's the whole purpose. God, bless America. God, humble your people. Bring us to what you've called us to be. God, we want America to be restored as a blessing to the entire world. And we stand in the gap for our country in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every Sunday, you guys know I like to take a moment and celebrate your generosity because you guys are just an amazing, generous church. And throughout all this COVID stuff, did you know that we've never struggled financially as a church? Like we've been able to keep all of our monthly commitments and we've even to missions and outreach, like we haven't had to cut anything. We're still sending monthly donations to Mexico and the Philippines and all that good stuff. And actually, we've gone beyond what we sent, normally send on a monthly basis. And we've sent over $8,000 in addition to what we would normally do out to outreaches and things that we've done over the last few months. In the midst of COVID-19, take that, devil. We, <laughs> that's God's economy right there. And if you haven't stepped into it, you might as well just go ahead. You can just step right out of the world's economy and into God's because he owns the place, y'all. He created the place. So you might as well hook up with him. God's provision comes regardless of what's going on around us. Let that truth sink in. It really does. And just like God's word says, your generosity is actually what connects you with his economy. It's like just that little connection point. So thank you for your generosity. It really enables us to make an incredible difference here at church, in our community, and all around the world. I say that all the time, and I really mean it. We are making a difference. So if you're ready to give today and you're giving by cash or check, you can raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring you an offering envelope. You can always give online today or anytime throughout the week. And the way you find that is just go to your browser, type in nolimits.fyi. Kind of weird, right? Not nolimits.com, but nolimits.fyi. There's a little giving button there. You tap that, get you where you need to go. Thank you so much for joining us. And a special thanks to those that give in to our ministry. It's because of your generous giving that we're able to lead people to Jesus and make a difference all around the world. If you're ready to give, head to your browser and type nolimits.fyi into the address bar. And if you were encouraged by this podcast, then hit that share button and pass it on so that others can be encouraged as well. Or you can even take a screenshot and share it on your social stories. Thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.